Just a couple of announcements before we get going. Next Sunday uh, on January 1st, we will be having service, of course, and it is a great morning. We're going to actually start the New Year's off with a couple of baptisms uh, that we've been wanting to do. We normally have those on Sunday evenings, but we're going to do a unique service on January 1st. Come and be a part of that. You'll hear some wonderful testimonies, what God has done in people's lives, and we're excited to share that with you. Uh, this Wednesday, there's no, no Wednesday service, and uh, we'll return uh, just after the first of the year with our normal uh, worship nights on Wednesday night. We're so glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to take and turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to finish what we started on Friday night as we look at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you find your way there, let me thank the Lord for this morning. Father, we just praise you this morning for your plan. And Lord, we are reminded on services like this that this was your plan laid down before the foundations of the world that you would rescue sinners such as us by sending your Son, the Savior of the world, Emmanuel, into the world to be with us. And not only just to reside in this world, to come into a civilization, but with the goal to rescue us from our sins and save us for eternity. And we marvel at that, Lord. Those who believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, we are astonished again and again at the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, this morn, we are reminded that that plan took place in a manger. And there the Creator, Savior, eternal God, the Word who was with God and was God, is now on earth. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless our time in the Word now, time as we take to remember your Son's, not only his birth, but his death, burial, and resurrection. And we minister and worship together as a family. Lord, thank you for all those that are here today. Many are traveling. Many are at home still, Lord. Couldn't come because of illnesses. Lord, bless them. Be with them in a special way. But thank you for each and every one that's here, Lord. Thank you for newcomers and visitors, Lord. May they, be in, may they be full of joy that they were here today, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Friday night we looked at kind of the worldview of what was going on at the time. We looked at the decrees that went out. We looked at men like Caesar and, and Quinarius and Herod. These were men of the day. They were the rulers of the day. And we marveled at the fact that God can and does and will continue to use pagan rulers to bring about his will. They thought they were putting censuses together. They thought they were exercising their power. But God had a plan to get a young, pregnant couple to Bethlehem. And we marvel that he does that. And he has the strength to do those things. We also seen Joseph. This young man, doubtlessly this couple, maybe teenagers, most theologians believe in their teenage years take his wife and draw her back to the place of the birth of King David. This was a great fulfillment of Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Remember we talked about this, this had to happen. And it came about in those days, the Bible says, that this is where they needed to be. They needed to be here. The child needed to be born. Joseph was a beautiful husband. He was righteous. He kept her, he kept her purity he did not want to uh, blame or, or mar the name of Christ in any way. The Bible says he's engaged. We know that most likely he had a ceremony before this. But he, 
he did not exercise his right as a husband because he wanted to help on his part prove the sinlessness of Christ. And so that brings us to verse 6. And however they got there, however long time that was getting there, and however many days they were there, the Bible says here that the days were complete for her to give birth. Most women and most husbands know this. There's a time where that baby's going to come, whether you like it or not. <laughs> that baby's coming. And, and here in this inspired text, we realize that that day had come. Mary, who had met an angel named Gabriel and was told, I am going to place the womb in your womb, the child, the holy child of God. And I will put him there and I will protect him from your sin nature so he will be holy and he will be the son of God. She had carried him full term. There was no miscarriages. There was no problems. There was no death in this because this child was destined to save his people from their sins. Well, we drop into the scene at verse 7. I love the narrative. It's, it gives us such great details and yet it gives us some vague thoughts as well. Verse 7 says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. This is an important statement. There are religions out there that talk of Mary's perpetual virginity and so forth. Just a very false, false teaching. The Bible uses a word here in the original language to help us understand it was the first of many. This was the firstborn of hers. This is Jesus. The Bible's clear that Joseph and Mary had many sons and daughters. Their names are even mentioned within the scriptures. But he is the first, and he is not the product of Joseph. He is the product of a divine conception, a miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit. But the Bible also tells us that this birth was very natural, wasn't it? She gave birth. Luke is an amazing writer, isn't he? There's times he is so detailed at times. When you study him, he's a doctor, of course, and inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the account of the life of Christ. And there's times he's amazingly detailed when you study him. His Greek, use of Greek is, is takes you, uh, into, stretches you in your Greek understanding of the language when you study it. But there's other times he shows vagueness. And this is one where he says, and she gave birth. You know, he does the same thing at the death of Lord Jesus Christ. Walks through the whole process, uh, all of the beatings and the mockings and the carrying of the cross and all of those things and gets to, the, to Golgotha, gets to the mount, and it says, and there they crucified him. You know, why does he do that? Because it's so easy for us to get caught up in the details and, and, and a place, and pretty soon there's a church built on top of that place, Right? Because we worship things and ideas instead of the Savior. And I think there's times here where God inspires Luke, just tell him he was born. Now, this is such an important thing because there's a natural birth here. He's us, right? He's, he's now become flesh. He's like us. Everyone in this room was born, right? Born of a woman. He was born of a woman. And he was born into the law. But he was born that he might redeem us. And there's a very clear, natural birth here. This is our Savior who has added to his deity, to his divine existence, his eternal existence, fully God. He has added to that humanity so he could live a perfect life, die a perfect death, beat it in the resurrection, 
and then sit on high and rule for eternity. This is such an important thing. If he isn't man, you don't have a savior because no one can represent you. And so in these simple words here that Dr. Luke has said here, inspired by the Spirit, she gave birth. I love just the naturalness to this. She wrapped him in cloths. This is the scene, right? It, it lets you drop into a scene. They, they would, in these type of days, in ancient days, we know this. They found uh, many reports of this. They would wrap every little limb of that baby. Baby Jesus, like the babies that you mothers have birthed, they were nice and comforted in your womb. It was warm and everything was great in there. And then they come out into this cold world and particularly here uh, in, a, in a, a stable type of type setting. So they wrapped every little limb and, and then swaddled them is the word. Made them feel comforted. We see a real reality in this text, don't we? And she laid them in a manger. That gives us a little more of a scene. I'll talk about that just in a moment. But it says because there was no room for them in the inn. Uh, the word inn we translate in the English is a little bit deceiving, isn't it? Um, uh, in this type, time of year, in this ancient culture, there wasn't you know, Motel 6s and Hiltons spread out along the countryside here. The Jews were very hospitable. There wasn't a lot of inns because if your family was in town, you stayed with family. You didn't stay in an inn somewhere. And so these were more roadside stops. They were... Places where often the digs that they have come up with now would maybe have all the animals in the center. And on the outside, there would be lean-tos where people would stay. And maybe on the top would be a home where someone who managed that would live. This is a, a very minimal place of, of, of a night's stay. The Bible says that there was no room for them. So many depictions of mean innkeepers and so forth have maybe uh, marred our view of this text, but there's a census going on. And if there was room, there was probably Romans that were taking those rooms. And Herod's guys and Quirinius's guys, they would come because that census had to be taken and eventually had to get back to Rome to know the numbers of the people they had captive to them in Rome. And so doubtlessly, this poor little family was not going to get a room. It's interesting also that they are not with family. They find themselves alone. They find themselves here. The text tells us in certain ways that, that there's no one with them. The Bible says she wrapped him in claws. Now, it's possible there was, a, there was a, a, a birthing made there of some sort that came to help. We, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But everything points to the fact that they were there alone. They were there by themselves. And they were in a place where there's a manger. The, the word manger is uh, translated feed trough. That's the word it comes from, an ordinary place where you would feed livestock. And so we know the conditions are less than sanitary. If you've been around the ranch or the farm at all, you know what that must have looked like. You know that was a difficult place. Today, when children are born, they're in pretty sterile places, aren't they? Everything goes ahead of them and gets everything ready and and in that great moment of that child coming into this world, uh, so many precautions are taken, aren't they? This is, a, this is a, a pair of teenagers. No mom. No one there by her side. Joseph, uh, ignorant of many things about a woman. He, the Bible says he was righteous. 
And so he, there, maybe he is birthing in some way in that process. Can you imagine what this young couple's going through? And yet they knew without a shadow of doubt, and we'll see that as we text unfolds, that God was doing something amazing. Notice in verse 8, this great message does not just stay within this manger scene. It begins to uh, fan out. The Bible says in the same region. There in verse 8 tells us that there's regions, and that would be very true. Herod had a region that he overseen. Uh, uh, Canarius would have been a governor, a leader. It's, a, it's an interesting term. Um, not like a governor like ours. He's not a DeSantis type of person. But he, he had a region that he would have overseen. He was a leader in that area, appointed by Rome. This was the region. And in that area, this is where this event takes place. Look what happens. There were some shepherds staying out in the fields. Many people have said, well, that means it couldn't happen during the winter. Well, that's not true. The temple always had its flocks, and they always paid very poor shepherds, paid very small minimum wage for men to watch those sheep nearby in the hills where shepherds would have kept them, where they kept them close to the, to the temple. But we don't, we don't know the date of when it would come, but whatever's happening here and whenever this took place, what we know in this region, there were shepherds and they were keeping watch. And I love that term from a pastor uh, aspect. It, it warms my heart to think about this. They're keeping watch. That means they're not thieves. <laughs> they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're watching over somebody else's flock. That's a great term. Us pastor elders here, this is a term we take very seriously. These men were faithful to whoever's flocks these belonged to, and they were watching them over, and they were in the night. And I just briefly glanced at my phone this week and what the temperatures would be in Bethlehem. They are hovering around the 30s in nighttime right now in the highs of maybe 40s and 50s, pretty similar temperatures in a, in a way. And so they're out there at night. But look at verse 9, and the angel of the Lord, this is an, an interesting person. This is one that was often connected to the pre-incarnate Christ. But whoever this angel is, it could be Gabriel because he's always involved in announcements. He comes, and notice the Bible says, suddenly. It is a word that says unexpectedly. It's just boom, he's there. <laughs> and he's coming right from the presence of God. He's got a message from God. And now the, the message is now going beyond Joseph and Mary, maybe, maybe in Joseph and Mary's case, and this is probably, probably the case, not many people had believed them. They didn't believe the story. Joseph probably didn't believe it for quite some time. Mary came and told him, and, and he was struggling whether to put her away. We know that in Matthew chapter 1, and, and that meant either stoning or all kinds of things that would come with the law of the Old Testament. And he was struggling, and, and he didn't even believe her let alone mom and dad and family members and so forth. And maybe this is why we find them so alone. But God is now going to branch this out. He's going to a select group of poor, and many of our choruses say lowly shepherds, in order for them to hear the good news. Notice this angel of the Lord coming from the presence of God suddenly stood before them. The angel showed the glory of the Lord. So when we see that term, glory of the Lord, that is the reflection of the presence of God. They themselves are not glorious as God is, but they are from God, and so they reflect this great presence of being in the glory of God, and boy, did that shine. 
when we look at the resurrection, we find two angels at the resurrection. The stone is rolled back. And the Bible expresses in unique terms of the brilliance of the bright light coming from those two angels. That's our Lord. That's the reflection of our Yahweh, our God. And here this angel is now with them. He shone around them. Interesting, this term, shone around them. There's just, it's just one Greek word there that we see in the text. It's only used one other time in the scriptures, this particular word. You know where that is? It's in the Apostle Paul's testimony to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. He's testifying to the king. He's on trial. The Jews are trying to get him killed, right? Because he's connected to Christ. He's testifying to Agrippa, and he begins to share what happened to him back in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus, and he uses the same word. And so here, this angel of the Lord, the glory of the Lord shone around him. Paul says, that same glory I saw on Damascus Road, and it knocked me off my horse. It blinded me as God presented himself to me. And when you study that text, guess who it is in that bright light? He says, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so when we talk about God the Father, and we talk about the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, they are one, they share, they share the same glory. We see that over and over. Isaiah says, as God speaks to the, the prophet Isaiah, I will not share my glory with another, but Jesus has it, so they must be one. They must be equal and share that glory. And so here we see that reflection of Yahweh coming off this angel. There's another little phrase here that's intriguing. It says they were terribly frightened. It's in a passive. And so as I think about that, that would have been a natural response. I think all of us in a dark night long before electricity on the hills of Bethlehem out there in the windswept hills. And all of a sudden, a presence coming from the glory of God that the brightness cannot be fully described in our language, all of a sudden, peers, you would probably be frightened, wouldn't you? But the Bible says it's a passive. It means that fright came at them. <laughs> it fell upon them in a sense. And that's, that's God. There's a, there's a sense of awe in fear when you get into his presence. Now, if you're lost and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, someday you will stand before that presence and you will tremble because your eternity is set. And it's apart from God. It's in the lake of fire. It's in eternal judgment. But those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, there is truly an awe, a fear, a reverence of God when you get into his presence. And I think these shepherds experienced this. Look at verse 10. The Bible says the angels said to them. So now this angel, possibly Gabriel, some messenger from God, some high-ranking angel that God entrusted with this great message, he tells them the standard line, don't be afraid. You know, he only says that to people who believe the message. You can follow this all the way through the scriptures. He only says that, do not be afraid, to those who believe in God, who believe that God had a promise to fulfill. You know, if you don't believe in God, you should be really afraid. You should tremble. Because someday you'll stand in his presence. The Bible says that Jesus Christ and his holy angels will judge they're going to come and they're going to judge. And here, the angel reminds them, look, there is a favor with you. Do not be afraid, in a sense, for behold, 
I have some phenomenal news for you. And this is one of the early opportunities where we see the, the very precious word for those of us who love the languages, the word ulangelion, good news, the gospel. Here's the gospel. And he says, look, I have great news I bring to you. I'm not going to uh, produce it. It's not something I'm doing. I'm bringing it to you. I'm sent to you. God sent me to bring this good news to you of great joy. It's great, isn't it? It's joyful. If you're, if you're a safe sinner in this room or you're watching online, there is nothing greater. You can't open something today. You can't receive something any greater than your salvation because you understand by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, the Spirit of God, that you're a sinner and you deserved all judgment of God and he's removed that from you. I mean, can I get a Christmas amen here? I mean, come on. There is nothing greater. There's no greater message than that. Some of us are years. I'm a half a century now in the faith. It still stirs my soul that God would forgive my sins. Amen? That's the greatest gift in the world. And so this angel says, look, we long to look into these things. We're, we're angels. There's those fallen angels and there's elect angels. There's, there's no redemption for the fallen angels. We're looking into this. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 tells us, and we marvel at the grace of God has put on man. So we're coming to bring this great news to you. It's astounding news, isn't it? It's full of great joy. And then there's one more phrase here. It says, which will be for all people. Well, wait a minute. The God of Israel is now fulfilling the promise that he gave to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. You're going to curse him, he'll curse you. You want to bless him, he'll bless you. But in his seed is going to be a blessing to all people. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, what your ethnic diversity is, what your economic status is. He is a blessing, meaning he saves people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's what he does. He wants people from all of the world, all of his creation around him for eternity. And so the Bible says this is not just a Jewish thing here. This is so much greater. And this is what the Bible has written about Revelation chapter 5, we begin to see that scene around the throne. And there, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. <laughs> to receive glory and honor. And, and, and this crowd of an immense, uncountable numbers of angels and redeemed people are singing. And that's why this angel is so excited to share this. Look at verse 11 with me. He says, For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. City of David. Isn't that interesting? Most of the time when you find the city of David in the Bible, it's referring to Jerusalem. Because David was a king there. And we often see that. But a couple of times it refers to the city of David as Bethlehem. In fact, one of the greatest times we see it is when Saul is sent back to find a king uh, Samuel has sent back uh, to find a new king. Saul has washed out, right? He's completely abandoned uh, the faith in a sense. And he sends Samuel back to Jesse, who is from the city of Bethlehem, David's father. 
And of course, he parades the shiny guys, the big tall ones in front of him, but the babe is out in the field killing lions and tigers and bears, right? And, uh, and so we know that that is King David. And so this goes all the way back to the promise of this Davidic line. This is the seed of Christ through all kinds of difficulties. Several sermons I've preached on through this, through this Advent uh, season, I've reminded you how difficult life was, how dark it is, and Lord comes through. We looked at some of the people in the line of Christ were godless pagan kings like Ahaz. God protected this, and it all comes back to this. This is the fulfillment of Micah chapter 5, verse 2. There will be a Savior born in Bethlehem, one who is eternal. That's the, that's the promise. That's the prophecy of Micah chapter 5, 2. And so here today, and in in here, and I don't know if these shepherds were Israelites or what they were, but here the angel saying, look, I'm telling you, the Bible is true. God's word keeps its promises. And notice it says there is born, and I love this little phrase, you've got to catch it, you should circle this in, the Bible, in your Bible, for you, a Savior. See, it's a choice of pronouns that makes it personal. Not too long ago, I was witnessing somebody, and they were raised in a Roman Catholic world, and they had gone to some Christian services, and I said, well, what did you see different than what you were raised? And she said this, and this is very interesting. She said, you know, it was so personal the way they worship. See, Jesus came for you. And for you, and for you, and for me. It's personal. He came for us. He is born for you. And he's just not just this great guy who comes and heals a lot of people and feeds a lot of people and is unfairly killed. He's a savior, the Bible says. Soteria, that word we get salvation from, is the word to deliver. It literally means one who can liberate. He liberates the slave. And look, we're all slaves, slaves to sin, a condemning slavery that would drag us to hell, serving the master of the darkness. That was where we were. And so here this angel reminds these poor, lowly men who are just tending flocks, there's a Savior for you. There's one who can deliver, one who can liberate you. And look, his name is this. He is Christ the Lord. That's interesting terms, isn't it? That means he's Messiah. He's Lord, Master. In fact, this word Lord is the Hebrew understanding of Yahweh often translated into Adonai because that's how they would speak because they wouldn't want to speak his name out loud. There is Christ, Yahweh, coming who is your Savior. He's not a little God. He's not a lesser God. He's not a different God. He's the God. And he's about ready to tell him he's in a manger just over there. Isn't that amazing? Verse 12 is a great statement here. This will be a sign for you. Oh, man, so many people want signs and wonders, right? Well, let me give you a sign. You're always going to find the Savior in the incarnation. You're not going to find him of some spirit being floating around out there who all of a sudden showed up to earth, died on a cross, and then went away. He came as flesh. He came in flesh. He came as a babe. So the sign is believe in the babe. That's the sign. 
Don't believe in yourselves. Don't say, well, you know, good, Christmas is a nice thing and all that, but I'm a really good person. I'm not like those rest of the people. That's not the sign. In fact, that is a sign you're going to hell. <laughs> right? That's a clear point, right? You, you believed in yourself to save you. Here's the sign. Christ, the Lord God, eternal, is in a manger, and he's the only way to the Father. And Jesus summed that up in Mark chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, what do we not get about that? <laughs> no one comes to the Father except through me. I must be your only way, your only life, your only truth. I must be your Lord in order for you to come to the Father. This sign of the babe wrapped, there's that swaddling type of understanding of his humanity in cloths, is lying in a manger. So he comes into our world, he invades the world he created, now a fallen world, a dark world, a world ruled by the prince of the power of the world, and he comes into a scene, and lying in a manger tells me it's a mess there. Not only just to the nostrils in that, but spiritually, it's a mess, isn't it? The creator of the world's laying in a barnyard. That's where man has got creation too. Instead of being worshipped and honored and set apart, he comes in this way, but we all thank the Lord for that because he comes as us, one of us, right? So he can rescue us. Verse 13, back to this scene that is on this windswept slope here. And suddenly there appears with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, I love this again, that suddenly is this unexpectedly term, boom. I, I think I've said this before. I, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we watch movies and they affect us a little bit. It's just like angels coming out of hyperspeed, you know, out of, out of light speed, boom. And they're all coming from the presence of God and and, and they're all reflecting his glory. And oh, what a day. What a night that must have been. I mean, there's certain replays we all want to see when we get to heaven. I hope, I, I don't know if I will. I mean, I'm so enamored with Jesus. But I think somewhere throughout eternity, I go, hey, can I just see where they popped in on that? Because this must have been astounding, right? The multitude is, is a word, we can translate it, a magnitude of fullness. Wow. Did he sin, did the father send his entire angelic force to that scene? It's possible. It's possible he sent the whole crew to talk about Jesus' birth because it's the greatest thing that's ever happened. It's amazing to think about that. This heavenly host that tells us where they're from, what are they doing? They're praising God. This is what they do. Psalms 103, verses 20 through 21, tell us that this is what the angels do. They praise God, stand ready at his beck and call. Hmm. I wish we did things that way, huh? We kind of, well, you sure? You got the right guy? <laughs> Maybe tomorrow we'll get around to that. Not the angels. In fact, they come in a full force. They come like an army of God's messengers here to bring praise. Notice the song that they sing or say here, glory to God in the highest. That's because of Jesus. It, the, the whole thing is around that major, right? So, so their praise, though God is deserving of glory for creation and the plan of salvation and, 
and a million other things he's worthy of praise, but they're praising right here because of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. Don't miss that. Glory to God in the highest. This is your plan, God. This is what you laid down from the beginning, and it's actually happening. And the result of that, the result of that, notice the last phrase of verse 14. Here's a very key. There is peace on this broken, war-filled, dying earth because of Jesus. But it's only with those in whom he is pleased. Still that way today. That's why I keep telling you and we keep saying, be careful, don't get too wound up with the politics. I know it's frustrating. I, I know there's, there's things going on out there that disturb us as Christians. But we have peace. We have peace. Do your due diligence as a citizen. But we have peace. And this peace isn't just a peace like, oh, I don't really care. This is a peace with God. This is Romans 5.1 type of peace. This is people who have been justified. That means God has declared us righteous and no one can touch our souls. Right? That's what kind of peace we're talking about here. And that's God, right? A God who knows all of his children from the foundations of the world. He gives them to Jesus. Jesus says, I'll lose none of them. <laughs> that's peace. And if you're a believer in here today, God planned your salvation. It was all part of this day. It all came from the, from the foundations of the world. He's not going to lose you. He's going to keep you. He has your days ordained, and he's going to put you right back in front of him someday. And listen, brother, sister, you can have peace. You can have peace. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I'm offering this to you as best humanly as I can there is one who can declare you righteous, and you can never do that on your own. There's one who can give you peace that you can never have on your own. The world can't offer to you. In a matter of hours, all the peace and joy temporary that they're going to experience today is all going to be gone because their credit card's going to roll in. And the band-aids they've had on their marriages and their families for a few hours are going to fall apart. And someone's going to die. In fact, thousands of people will die today. Do you have peace with God through Jesus Christ? Don't leave this room without that. Come talk to me, someone. Grab somebody and say, I need that peace that pastor was talking about. Don't go, don't go out of this room without it. It's the greatest gift you can ever have. Notice verse 15. When the angels had gone away, the lights just went out, right? They're back in the dark. They went away and noticed where they went. To heaven. They went right back before the throne of God. They did their job. They were sent to earth to do a job and they returned. There's just so many parallels. Isn't this fun? You and I have been sent to do a job, right? God saved us. We're going to return to heaven someday. We're going back there. We're going to be with our Lord so I, I love this when I studied uh, what we call angelology, right? They, they came, they did their job, they returned to heaven. But because of that, the shepherds began saying to one another, this is a great conversation. I'm sure there was a little bit of stunned silence for a moment, but all of a sudden somebody speaks up and goes, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Let us go straight. The, the idea of the word here is to Go in a, such a way where you are not distracted. It is 
goes directly to this point. We've heard something. There's no hesitation. There's no stopping here. And then the little phrase at the end of verse 15 is made known to us. We call this a causative verb. God caused something to be known. Oh, salvation written all over this, isn't it? God causes you to be saved. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, the Bible says this. Paul praises the Lord that they have come to know the Lord. Then he corrects himself, inspiredly correction here. He goes, rather, he has known you. Isn't that beautiful? And so here there's this, there's this goal of God. He came to make this truth known to these shepherds. I think this is to us as well. They realize that God had done something miraculous. And every salvation, everyone who's ever been saved, has a miraculous spiritual birth where God in his sovereign will chose to make himself known to you through Jesus Christ. That's salvation. And you and I know it because there's people in our life who haven't seen it yet. God has not caused himself to be known there. And we beg God for their salvation, don't we? But we know it. And we praise God that he made, he made himself known to us through Jesus. We finally actually see him in all of his glory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 16. There's a great response here, isn't this? They trust in the word of God, don't they? Angels are carrying the word of God. They hear the word of God. They trust it and they came in a hurry. And guess what? They found the scene totally different than what they were told. No. They found them. They found them in the manger. They found Mary. They found Joseph, the text says. And more importantly, they found the babe laying in that manger. The word hurry is we get our word speeding from it in the English. I like that word. I have a tend to have a little heavier foot. Let's get going. Let's hurry our way there, right? Let's not burn any daylight. And they hurried there. And here's, here's this teenage couple. And they're in the barn or the stable or a lean-to or a cave. Who knows exactly where it is. And I'm glad they haven't found it because they've just built another church on top of it. Listen, they're in a place that's not desirable. And they find them there. They find them. In verse 17, and when they saw this, when, when they make this scene here, right? When they come into this, they tell them, they look, we need to tell you something. And the Bible says they made known the statement which had been told them about the Christ. I love that. Let me tell you what Jesus is, is let me tell you what the angels told us about your son. I think that's what we do. Let me tell you what Jesus has done. Let me tell you what God has shown me through the Bible about Jesus. There's such great evangelism here in this verse in a sense, isn't there? Statement is just like the Lord said. Look at verse 18. And all who heard of it wondered. Well, all would just be Joseph and Mary at first. Could have been some stable hands around there or something. I don't know. But then it all has to go beyond that, right? I think it even goes to us this morning. All who hear this. You're hearing this message. And as, as Aaron said this morning, we've read this story many times. But every time we come back to it, because it's the inspired word of God, it is wonderment to us. It is amazement to us, isn't it? And that's what happens. So all that heard it, right? All that akuo took it in through their ears and processed it through their 
hearts and their minds, they wondered at the things that were told to them by these shepherds. Hearing, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. But notice Mary here. The special young gal who birthed her own Savior is treasuring all of these things. Well, what would that be? Well, the word treasure means to protect. It even has a word of defending it. But it has more of an idea in this context that she's preserving these truths. She's storing them up. She's thinking about everything. I think her mind is running to Old Testament. We know she was a godly young lady. She knew her Old Testament. It comes out in her prayers. We saw a couple of weeks ago. She, she prays the great, her great song, her great prayer. All that Old Testament truth flows out of her. So we know she it knows the Old Testament. But she also had an amazing experience with Gabriel. And then she had to go tell Joseph that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And then he has a dream. She's pondering all of this. And then she's looking at her firstborn son, who is the eternal God, creator, sustainer of all things, is now in her arms. And she's pondering this. She's wondering. She ponders in her heart. I love that term. It's not just, well, let's see how this all works out. This is in her soul. This is in her inner being. She's thinking through these things. And we see her faithful all the way to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20, these shepherds are forever changed, right? (laughs) They went back. Now they're, just like the angels were doing, they're glorifying and praising God, right? They've seen now the Lord of glory in babe, right? In the manger. Now they're glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. Notice that. Hey, you have a spiritual, true, spirit-inspired encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ through the word of God, you will praise him. If you lack praise in your life and lack joy and glory of God in your life, you need to see if you've really seen the real Jesus. See, there's a lot of Jesuses floating out there. There's a lot of Jesus in the genie bottle people out there, right? Well, he didn't give me what I want, so maybe he's the son of God, I don't know. A lot of people go to church because they want to make sure God blesses their business or something. No, no. The true saved, the true redeemed, we praise and we glorify God. And that doesn't mean we don't go through struggles and hard times and losses and all kinds of things that go on in our life because of the sinful world. But in the end of the day, as the psalmist prays with great hurt at time, at the end of those psalms, they come back and they say, but you, God, are worthy of praise. Isn't that what believers do? Some of you are suffering this Christmas. Some of you have losses, struggles, hurts, things that maybe your own sin have affected in some way. You're struggling. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he died for your sins, past, present, and future? Do you believe he's the Lord of glory? Do you believe he's equal to the Father? He He was with God and was God. Do you believe that? That should produce joy and praising and glorifying God even in difficult trials. And you're going to have to run back to that time and time again, some of you. For us, this is what we do as a church. And we glorify Him. And so the result of being in the presence of Christ is worship. And we love His Word. Father, we thank You for a few minutes here on this Christmas morning. I thank You for the children that are 
here. It's an exciting day in an American culture of Christmas. And yet there's many families here that's all fit to have their children on the Lord's Day in the Lord's house. And so Lord bless these little ones. May they talk about what they heard today. May dads and moms lead discussions of, of what Christmas is about today. Even during the joy of trees and good food and presents and all those wonderful things that you so graciously let us be involved in. But Lord, help us be those who come from your scene. We've been in the scene. We've been here in the word of God. Let us come away with joy, praising and glorifying. That's the mark of a believer. And Lord, we can think of no way better to end this service than to be reminded of what the ultimate goal of our Lord Jesus was. It was his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so, Lord, as we uh, go into our time of communion, Lord, may you bless us, encourage our hearts, Lord. Send us out rejoicing. In Jesus' name, amen.